This is Optimal Finance Daily, episode 284. Dude, where's my 7% investment return? By Mr. Money Mustache of MrMoneyMustache.com. And hi again, everybody. I'm Dan, your host here on Optimal Finance Daily. We're here every weekday reading you some of the best personal finance blogs on the planet. Uh, Happy Thursday to everybody. And uh, we have somebody to mention today who is helping to keep Optimal Finance Daily going. If you wanna work your way towards early retirement, Jason Hartman is your guy. Check out his Creating Wealth show. He's been a big help to us here, so we greatly appreciate it if you could return the favor and check out his content too. Again, that is the Creating Wealth show, and you can learn more by coming by oldpodcast.com slash wealth. Now, as for what we've got here on the show for you today, uh, the post from Mr. Money Mustache I'm about to read is sort of a part two. He did a mini series on investing, And I read the first part of that a while back, uh, way back in episodes 66 and 67. So you can check that out, but you don't have to uh, listen to those for this one to make sense. This one's gonna stand on its own. But just a little note, he did write this about six years ago. So when uh, Mr. Money Mustache references certain timeframes, you'll have to keep in mind that this was written back in 2011, but the overall principles still apply. So with that, let's hear more from MMM on investing as we optimize your life. Dude, where's my 7% investment return? By Mr. Money Mustache of MrMoneyMustache.com. In most of my examples of small savings adding up over time, I assume that you, the saver, are not only saving the money, but investing it for some compounding gains. For example, I once stated that saving $25 per week by skipping a restaurant meal adds up to about $19,200 after 10 years. To get numbers like that, I'm assuming that someone is investing the $25 each week into an imaginary investment that goes up in value a little bit each month for a total gain of 7% per year. Without this compounding, the $25 per week would still add up to a big number, but it would be 13,000 instead of 19,000 plus. So is this realistic? Many people have questioned my optimism and others have questioned my pessimism. Dave Ramsey always repeats the phrase that the stock market average return has been 12% for the past 70 years. So why am I using 7%? To the credit of the pessimists, it is true that a person investing a monthly series of payments into U.S. stocks over the 10 years leading up to right now, June 6, 2011, would have only yielded 2.3% per year compounded. After adjusting for inflation, it's even worse. The investment is worth less than 1% more than it was 10 years ago. Why did this happen? To find out, you can look at a chart of the S&P 500 index over the super volatile last 10 years. As you can see, the stock index is now very close to where it was 10 years ago. The only thing that provided even the tiny 2.3% annual return I mentioned was the quarterly dividends you would have received, adding just under 2% per year, and a small benefit from dollar cost averaging. By buying, say, $1,000 per month of shares, you would automatically end up buying more during the month stocks were in the bargain bin, like in 2002 and 2008. So with the stock market being so volatile, how can we be expected to use it as a short-time retirement planner? Unfortunately, I can't offer any guarantees but I can offer an interesting example of how statistically unlikely this is to happen in any given 10-year period, loosely paraphrased from a stock market book I happen to be reading right now. Imagine you could fly freely back and forth to any year between 1950 and today, and you could test out the stock market returns for all possible periods in that range. For example, measure the return for a one-year period beginning in January 1950, ending in January 1951. Then measure from February 1950 to February 1951, and so on, through all the many hundreds of possible hypothetical one-year investments. Then repeat this whole test for all possible five-year holding periods, 
and 10-year periods and 15, 20, and 25-year periods. If you use a time machine or even just a regular computer to do all of these tests, you get some pretty neat results. Check out how quickly the stock market volatility smoothed out over time. One-year holding periods. The worst, negative 37%, and it was in 2008. The best, plus 52.62%. Five-year periods. The worst was minus 2.35%. The best, plus 28.55. Ten-year periods. Worst, minus 1.38%. Best, plus 19.35%. Fifteen-year periods. Worst, plus 4.31%. Best, plus 18.93%. Twenty-year periods. Worst, plus 6.53%. Best, 17.87%. 25-year periods, worst, plus 7.94%, best, plus 17.24%. The average for all periods is, of course, the average annualized stock market return for the overall period, which is about 11.1%. After adjusting for inflation, this 11.1% annualized number would become 7.16% over the 1950-2011 to period. Inflation was very high during the 1980s, so it averages to 4% in this example instead of the 2 to 3% currently forecast for our own future. So what do you do if you happen to hit the wrong 10-year period and your savings don't grow as expected? Having done much of my own retirement saving during the past decade, I'm in this boat myself. The solution I like to use is to just remain flexible. I did end up working longer than originally planned because of the stock market fluctuations, and during lean years of the stock market, I decided to spend less rather than withdrawing savings right after the stock market crash of 08. I also like the idea of keeping a local rental house as part of my portfolio and always leaving the door open for any amount of part-time work that might be needed. There are also less risky investments that you can make, mixing stocks with bonds or other more stable, but on average lower return investments, is very standard advice for people as they get closer to retirement age. Those mixtures deserve their own articles for the unique situation of a mustachian investor since some of us might be just making their first investment deposit as a new graduate and yet still be less than 10 years from retirement. But meanwhile, at least we can say this. If you plan for a retirement income that is pretty cushy, say $40,000 per year for a small to medium family, you have plenty of fat that can be trimmed in the event of down markets. On average, if the stock market continues its historical performance, your investments will return close to 7% per year, even after keeping up with inflation. But to get the full benefit of the 7%, you would need to time your spending strategically. Reduce spending if you hit some bad stock market years early on in your retirement, then you can crank it back up during future booms. If this sounds too complicated, you can of course just work for an extra year and build the portfolio even more. But being a man who thinks flexibility and early retirement are all part of the same package, I prefer to take on a little more risk in exchange for more free time earlier in life. Even during one of the worst 10-year periods in stock market history, I have to report, so far so good. There is obviously much more to say on the topic of stock investing. I've been reading more books than usual on the topic recently in an attempt to answer various unexpected questions that people have been sending in to MMM headquarters. It's been quite valuable to me to hear so much about the situations of many other people. The questions have forced me to learn more for my own benefit as well. And all of it has inspired a whole series of stock market articles. So let the investing series begin. You just listened to the post titled, Dude, Where's My 7% Investment Return? by Mr. Money Mustache of MrMoneyMustache.com. And I'm actually going to read another post from MMM tomorrow, the next one in his little investment series. 
But before I leave for today, while you're there in your podcast app, please do check out the Creating Wealth show with Jason Hardman. Jason has owned properties in 11 states. He's got hundreds of tenants. And in addition to being an investor, he's a real estate developer and money lender. And uh, we have mentioned some episodes here that we think you'll especially like. Episodes 400 and 640 with author Dan Millman are great ones to help you uh, live a more optimal life. And they cover a lot in those two episodes, but that is really just scratching the surface of uh, what is covered there on the show. You can subscribe to the podcast for a lot more. Again, that's The Creating Wealth Show. Visit oldpodcast.com slash wealth for more info on it. And a big thanks to Jason for believing in us here at Optimal Finance Daily and supporting us. And if you check out his content, you'll be helping out Optimal Finance Daily too. So again, come by oldpodcast.com slash wealth and make sure to subscribe to The Creating Wealth Show with Jason Hartman. And that'll do it for episode 284. Have yourselves a great rest of your day and I'll see you in the Friday show tomorrow where your optimal life awaits. Hello, Life Optimizer. This is Justin Mollick, creator and producer of this podcast, but also Optimal Living Daily, the show where I read to you from even more blogs covering finance, productivity, minimalism, personal development, and more from incredible bloggers like Derek Sivers, Zen Habits, Mark and Angel, The Minimalists, and all the ones you hear on this show too. So if you enjoyed today's episode and like taking amazing blogs on the go, come on over to Optimal Living Daily and subscribe to that one too. And together, we'll start optimizing your life. You've been listening to Optimal Finance Daily. Be sure to hit the subscribe button to stay up to date on each new episode and head to oldpodcast.com. That's oldpodcast.com for a free gift as well as more actionable tips and resources to help you maximize your potential. Thanks for joining us. And remember, your optimal life awaits.